Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. First, I have to say, I think this episode is going to drop on August 18th, something like that. So this is shortly before my son Mickey's 12th birthday. He turns 12 on August 24th. He doesn't listen to my podcast by any means, which I, yeah, I would not expect him to. He's got to listen to me talk and ramble on about things all the time. But just a to the world as we're shouting out good news, a happy birthday to my son Mick, who is a pretty cool dude. And I suppose I'm biased. He's my son, but (laughs) obviously I love my son. But I also like the dude a whole lot. He's a pretty sweet hang. He works his tail off. He's a kind-hearted kid. I often see in him what I hope are the best parts of me. And I see a lot in him where I think he's a lot better than I am. He's got a, a cool demeanor. And he's kind to other people. He's a sweet-hearted kid who really gives his best a lot of things. And I know I'm doing the parent bragging thing, which I try not to do very often, but awfully proud of that guy. And just thinking of his, his birthday, kind of crazy to have a, a kid who's, who's turning 12 years old. And uh, I'm going to have him in class this year because I teach sixth through 12th grade and I get all the middle schoolers on a rotation, so he's in sixth grade this year, and that's going to be wild, having him in class. This is also going into the week where we're going to be starting school, students starting school. As this drops, we'll already be in teacher in service, that always beloved aspect of education. It's not bad teacher in service. There's a lot of value in it. There's time we need to get things done and time for training and time for teachers to learn things and to collaborate. But I like working with kids. I like, I like teaching and I like coaching. So I'm recording this before we start teacher in service. But by the time this drops, I assure you, I will be ready to have my students in the classroom and get rolling because I I like teaching. That also means the return of our family time social emotional learning curriculum where we hit social emotional learning competencies. We break them down. We talk about them in class and we share them on the podcast and on video and things like that so that people in our community and the larger community can follow along with us if you're so inclined. But first, we'll hit a good news story like we often do. Our good news organization this week is Give Back Yoga Foundation. I'm a big proponent of yoga. I I think the first few times I did yoga when I first started doing yoga was probably 
early 2000s in college. I was a college football player. I played defensive line and some offensive line. So I was a pretty big dude. I'd put on a lot of weight going into college intentionally for football. And I felt like I had just, I had gotten so stiff as I put on all that weight. So I started doing a little bit of yoga. And I think initially, this was too, of course we had internet access and things like that. But it it was different in the early 2000s where I never had my own computer in college. We would have to do a lot of work on the computer, but I would go to like the computer lab that was in the dorms. I would go to one of the library computer labs and use a computer there. I never had a laptop, anything like that. So wasn't spending a ton of time on the internet, those sorts of things, where now there's so much access to training and pretty much anything. But there's a lot of great stuff you can find online for yoga training where (laughs) this wasn't really the case so much back then. So I I think I went to the rec center at college, like the (laughs) campus rec center, and they had workout DVDs that you could check out from the front desk and then go up, we had this turf room area, which was cool. We used it as athletes, that it was a, just a big room that had like field turf, the artificial grass on the floor, and you could wear cleats up there and you could do all sorts of things. But you could also, when one of the teams wasn't using it, you could go up and use it as an exercise area to run or do whatever, and they had a TV up there, and this may not all be 100% correct. It was some years ago, but I think they had a a TV mounted up there with a DVD player, and you could check out these DVDs and then go and then play them if you wanted to, whatever the fitness trend of the day was, if you wanted to go and do one of those fitness videos. It's like went and checked out like the DVD, and I want to say it was something like MTV Yoga. Or something like that. Where it was like the new hip. We got music playing. We're doing yoga. And started doing some of that. And I will admittedly say. I did not stick with yoga for a long stretch there initially. Because it was hard. Especially as a big dude. Trying to do poses. And I wasn't very flexible. I just remember shaking and sweating that could have been like that could be like a yoga t-shirt just yoga shaking and sweating (laughs) and I was not very good at it and like I said did not really make it a regular part of my wellness practice (laughs) and kind of put it on a shelf Then after college, I wanted to lose some weight and get just in better shape for general life. And yoga was still this thing that's like, man, like why was that so hard? I was this 
big, strong football player. I'm used to playing, you know, all through practice, a bunch of snaps in a game, all these sorts of things. And this yoga that, especially at that time, was still sort of a, was still sort of a fringe thing. Where it was like, yeah, okay, is kind of uh, it wasn't as mainstream, and it especially I think at that time maybe didn't have like a a masculine vibe to it. So as like a young football player, it was like that didn't bug me. I was never like, oh, this isn't very tough to do it. It was more the like, oh no, this is way harder than I thought it was gonna be. Like I didn't I, in my head, I'm like, well, it's stretching ish. And uh, it was much harder than that. And there's all different types of yoga, but that was kind of my first experience. And then I cycled back to it later after college and after my football playing career was over and I wanted to get just more fit in general. And I dealt with injuries in college and all sorts of things. Just keep the body moving and all that. And started getting into yoga. And I... In the years since, I've had stretches where I've been really gung-ho and I've done yoga every day or almost every day. And then I've had stretches where I have done it more periodically. But it is a real core part of my wellness program of my exercise program of my life at this point where I I typically don't go very long without doing yoga kind of at the at this point it's a part of my routine where uh, usually at least a, a few days a week I'm doing something and some days maybe a short just first thing in the morning not following along with any practice, just sort of me going through poses that I've done again and again to to get moving. There'll be other times where I'm dialing something up online. I'm following through with the workout. I really don't go to like yoga classes. I have a couple of times to try them out. I think there's great value in that. And we're going to talk about that with the, the give back yoga foundation there is great value in that i've just had different experience over a number of years and then i'll I'll find things online and practices that i like to to go through and i think that's certainly an option for people as well if you have access to that but uh, a couple yoga class that i have gone to the first time that i went to a real class it was a hot yoga class which i really like if that's something that you're interested in a good hot yoga class really i do enjoy it hot and get the the sweat going and i just like that feeling of it really feels like you've done something and you're pouring sweat and but i remember going into the class the first day just kind of showing up to try it and didn't know any of the people in it and it's really like a couple of things that stuck out to me right away. First, I'm kind of uh, just kind of like milling about at the start of class. And I'm kind of, I'm talking to people. I don't know any of these people. But I'm kind of, kind of yucking it up, kind of doing my shtick, kind of, hey, how's it going, blah, 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 talking to people. And I was getting the vibe from a, a number of people there that like, 
This was their quiet time. This was their time for themselves because they came in and and they were kind of doing some preliminary stretching where I'm, I'm just kind of staying around because I'm like, stretching is what we're going to be doing, right? I mean, it's definitely more than that, but I'm like, we're, we're stretching to stretch here. And but some people were kind of, they were in their zone and it's quiet and there is kind of a vibe at a lot of yoga studios. And, and I was, I think, disrupting the vibe at first when I came in. So I, I tried to rein it back a little bit. And then the, the, the gentleman who was instructing that day came in and he's like, oh, great, you know, give it a try. And he's like, how, uh, how flexible are you? And I was like, well, I'm about as flexible as I look. And he went, oh, <laughs> like, like, oh, no. And uh, he was asking because he was basically like, how many blocks do you need? How many bands do you need to like help you do this stuff? So he went and grabbed me some of the accoutrement of the yoga practice. And I was actually maybe uh, I maybe sold myself a little bit short. I'm not super flexible, but I had already been doing yoga on my own at that point. And uh, I've been involved with martial arts most of my life and things like that. So I'm fairly flexible. I'm a, I'm kind of a bigger guy. So when I, I told him that I'm about as flexible as I look, he was like, oh no, but uh, I do okay. I'm, I'm probably more flexible than I look, but not super flexible still. And, and yoga is not all just about flexibility either. There's a lot to be said for separate, specific flexibility training, if that's the goal. But anyway, that was kind of funny. And then maybe the second class that I went to, another hot yoga class. And the woman who was instructing there was great. But then she did at the end of the practice like a lay flat on your back and close your eyes. And then she was going to come and rub, uh, I don't know if it was an essential oil or whatever on your forehead. And you were supposed to, if you didn't want the oil on the forehead deal, you're supposed to cross your arms, like you across your chest. And that meant like, uh, no, I'm cool. No oil on the dome for me. But if I'm going to try something, I'm usually like, I want the full experience. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do the, I'll do the oil on the noggin. So I'm laying back. And if I remember right, she had us lay, not like flat on our back with our arms down by our side, but with our arms overhead. So our, our legs are kind of out and then our, our arms are overhead and we're laying back. And I think that in my head, maybe self-consciously, I thought this probably looks a little silly because I'm laying there with my eyes closed. I, while I have decent like hip mobility, lower back, like all those sorts of things, my shoulders are 
very immobile. Years of playing football, I think, in college, I think I subluxed my right shoulder probably five or six times. And subluxation is where like your shoulder kind of pops out and pops back in. So it's not a, a full dislocation, but it it can do some damage and it loosens things up there. And so that was an ongoing issue. So my right shoulder specifically is very stiff and I've had numerous times throughout my life since my football playing career having to do rehab physical therapy on that shoulder it just it does not have a lot of mobility so if i'm lying flat on my back with my arms overhead often my arms will not touch the ground like i don't have much mobility going back like that so i'll be laying and relaxed but my arms are still off the floor a couple inches because they, they don't go back far enough to touch the ground so i'm laying there with my eyes closed and my arms not touching the ground over my head and the yoga instructor comes around and she's putting the oil on people and she gets to me and i can feel i can sense her feet kind of next to my head and it just again might just be in my head but it seems like she stood there a little bit longer than the other places. Like in my head, she's kind of looking at me like, what is going on here with this guy? My arms are just kind of stuck off at this angle, not resting on the floor. And she's like, all right. And rub the thing on my head or maybe she put it on like our temples and forehead, but she kind of rubbed it in. And, and that was the deal. I'm sure I was, kind of a sweaty guy when I'm exercising anyway, so I'm sure I'm laying in a pool of my own sweat as she rubs the oils on. But this is a good bit of fun, a hot yoga class. I, I sure enjoy it. So there's me rambling on about yoga, which brings us back to Give Back Yoga Foundation. So the Give Back Yoga Foundation is an organization that's trying to bring the therapeutic benefits of yoga to people who don't have access to the practice or have limited access. As I said, we can find a lot of stuff on YouTube or there's different apps and things like that. And that is great, I think, but there is so much information. It can be hard to sort through it. And there's all sorts of different practices and you can focus in on different benefits I think it is great, at least if starting out, if you can talk to somebody, if you can have an instructor, if you can have some resources that you know are good and give back yoga also focuses on health workers, charitable organizations, yoga teachers, trying to support them, give them more access to equipment, facilities, whatever, and help them get yoga to people who need it, including veterans, people who are in prison, people who deal with mental and physical illnesses, mental health issues, those sorts of things. And they really work by providing startup supplies, working to give scholarships so people can get training, certifications to teach yoga, 
and then sort of just financial sponsorships to help get access to communities and individuals that really need it. It's kind of a neat story. The Give Back Yoga Foundation looks like it was started in 2007 by a a woman who was a yoga instructor and then one of her students who was at the end of his career working in the financial industry and then wanted to give something back and they worked together to start this organization to try to bring the benefits of yoga to those who might benefit from it. And yoga does have a lot of benefits. There's the physical benefits, not just the the flexibility kind of mentioned, but flexibility, strength. There's also, depending on the type of yoga you're doing, there's the the mental aspect of it and the breathing and sort of just taking some time for yourself and it's a low impact form of exercise that's great can be done and done by people who maybe have physical limitations injuries those sorts of things and I really like it. Like I said, yoga is a big part of my practice. It's something as a strength and conditioning coach. It's something that I incorporate into workouts with my athletes. And it's funny. Years ago, when I started doing it with my high school athletes, the initial response was kind of a pff, uh, yoga like what is this hippie stuff that we're doing and you got all these big football players think oh, this is not the same thing I thought when I started oh, we're just stretching whatever and then they're holding poses and shaking and sweating and being like that was super difficult but I've really found that my athletes pretty quickly latch on to it and they really like it they like it as a as a break as sort of a mental break and as a physical physical tool for recuperation and for their strength and mobility. And I'll have athletes request it now. Like if we haven't done yoga for a while, they'll ask for it. Where they'll they'll be like, hey, could we tomorrow before practice even, could we get in a little bit yoga? I'm feeling stiff in the hips, those sorts of things. So it is really beneficial. A lot of great stuff out there. And I think anytime we can get resources to people that help them physically and mentally, that helps them individually, but it helps all of us. Society's better when people are physically healthy, mentally healthy, when they have something to strive for. Yoga is great for that. You can find, you can see progress pretty quickly and it'll kind of keep going. Anytime somebody has something where they can, they can train and see gradual progress, growth is so important in life. You can check out the Give Back Yoga Foundation at givebackyoga.org. It is the start of a new school year, almost unbelievably. It seems every year summer starts and it seems like we have this long break, 
before school and it flies by and I'm always ready. I'm always excited to get back to school, but it always sneaks up on me a little bit too. So here we are, start of a new school year, which means the return of our social emotional learning curriculum, what we call family time. Family time is a name that came from my students as we talk about the family in our classroom. And this is a chance for us to discuss social emotional topics. And we're all the way up to family time 109. That was another student suggestion. The first year that we really did a formal SEL curriculum, I numbered the weeks and my plan was we'll just start over again the next year and number them. And a student suggested you should just keep, keep numbering them. Just keep going. We'll revisit some of the same topics year after year. We'll re-hit the, the same social emotional learning competencies in different ways. But we'll continue the numbers and just see how many of these we, we do over the years. And it's kind of great to think about that we've already had 108 weeks of conversations. It's not even just 108 separate social emotional learning conversations. We have multiple conversations throughout the week. We, we set a topic and a, a focus for each week. And then we start each of my classes talking about these. And it's great to think about all the, the conversations that we've had, all the topics we've covered. I've learned so much about my students and just it's made me a better teacher in many different ways. So I always look forward to our conversations as we start the school year. We have our social emotional learning competencies. These are competencies that are set by Castle, which is an organization that focuses on social emotional learning and they've been adopted these competencies have been adopted or competencies similar to these have been adopted by many states. Iowa has adopted these specifically. So we go through the CASEL standards because they've been adopted in Iowa. These are things that we, we now have to address in some way, which is great. When we started doing some of this stuff, it was not a requirement to address it. And we, we didn't have the formal competencies that we were trying to miss. It was trying to, to hit. We were just kind of mixing things here and there and it's great that this is a focus in our state i've had the good fortune to connect with people from other states and even other countries talking about their social emotional learning and what's tragic to me is that there are places where they're trying to fight having social emotional learning in the classroom. It's sort of unbelievable to me. I, I've talked to places where doing some research and talking to people who are working in, in the social emotional learning field and people trying to pass state legislation 
to remove social emotional learning from schools, which to me shows a tremendous lack of understanding, a tragic lack of understanding about what our young people need and what all people need. The truth is, we're not very effective educators if we're only addressing the math and science and reading, all those things that get so much focus and all those things that are important. But we can't be effective if that's all we're addressing. The truth is, Every one of our classrooms, every one of them, we have people who are dealing with trauma. We have people who are dealing with mental health issues. We know that we have a a mental health pandemic, epidemic, whatever it is. We have a, a, a mental health issue. And it's impacting our young people. And we have students in every classroom who don't have a lot of supports at home, who are dealing with trauma, who have faced a lot of things that they shouldn't have to face. And they're in our classrooms. And we're asking them to learn content, which is important. But I always look at it this way. If we had a student in our classroom who was physically ill, who was sick, who was throwing up, who had the flu, we would not expect that student in that moment to sit down and do algebra problems. But that's exactly what we do with mental health and social emotional well-being. Because we can't see it. We can sometimes see indicators of it, but it's not physically there. The student doesn't walk into our room and we say, ah, you're having a a rough time, that you're, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious. We don't always see that. We don't see the things that happen outside of our building. Sometimes we find out about it, and that's usually when things get bad. So we don't expect somebody with a physical illness to be working on the content in our classroom, but we do that with mental illnesses, mental health issues, emotional issues all the time. We wouldn't, if we were coaching a sport and an athlete had a a broken leg, We wouldn't expect that athlete to go out and run. But again, that's something we can see. We have to address the social-emotional issues if we expect our, our students to learn and to grow and to be the people we know they can be, the people they want to be. 
And we also know that emotional intelligence is connected to success in all fields, in all endeavors. The ability to identify and manage our emotions is highly connected to success in all areas, in all fields. And for my money, that makes emotional intelligence the most important form of intelligence. There are all sorts of different types of intelligences. And emotional intelligence is key to anything we're going to do in life. There's my little soapbox speech about social-emotional learning, why we do what we do, and now we'll get into it. So we start off, our social-emotional learning competencies are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Those are the castle learning competencies that are adopted. And then Castle and the state of Iowa have then identified different areas that fall under those five categories. But that's what we hit. We cycle back through those five main headings and we address the different topics throughout. And we always start with self-awareness. If we don't know ourselves, it's pretty hard to know anything else about this confusing, messy, chaotic life. So we're talking about self-awareness and specifically we're looking at accurate self-perception where we're identifying personal qualities and interests and we're looking at self-confidence, self-confidence and self-efficacy where we're trying to create strategies focusing on positive affirmations for ourselves and we're going to examine conditions that influence our self sense of identity. So for Family Time 109, this is Who Are You? We're going to spend, usually spend a couple weeks at the beginning of the year looking at self-awareness and self-management specifically and kind of setting a tone for the school year. One of the great things about the school year is that there's kind of a beginning and an end and there's checkpoints along the way where it's kind of built in where we can check our own progress and we can reset some things and kind of wipe the slate clean a little bit. So for this year, we're going to spend a couple weeks at the beginning of the year and we're actually going to create a visual in my classes to kind of help us understand who we are and who we want to be. And I say who because often in school, in our careers, we focus on what we are. What do you want to do with your life? What do you do for a living? More important question is, who are you? At your core, what are your interests? What are your values? Who do you want to be? Yourself, but what version of yourself is going to be the version that's going to make you feel at peace and, and feel happy and feel proud of the person you are. 
that's what we want to focus on. And we're going to create this visual. Gives us something to actually picture to look at. And it's going to help direct and individualize our social emotional learning throughout the year. First, we want to establish that positive self-image. So I'm going to have my students list just first some of your interests. That seems like such a simple thing to do. It's crazy how students can struggle with it. I primarily teach visual arts and I give my students a lot of freedom to select their subject matter and the media with which they're working. And we try to individualize things as much as possible. So we've got a bunch of different things going on and students will struggle. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to make. I'm like, okay, well, what are you interested in? And students will say, I don't know. It's like, Wow, you mean you do, do know you do something when you go home. You have some hobby that you do. You watch something on TV. You listen to some music, whatever it is. But sometimes we struggle to identify that. What are you into? What are you interested in? Maybe it's something you don't know much about, but ah, this kind of got my interest a little bit. Got my wheels turning. We want to explore that. So all my students looking at that first. That's that can be kind of surface level. To start, but it's kind of our way in. What, what do you like? What do you, whatever it is, books, movies, music. And I said, what do you like? I think of a football coach that I had in college, Coach, <laughs> coach Tatum. <laughs> and Coach Tatum was from Texas, and he had a, a thick Texas accent. And no offense to anyone who has a Texas accent, and I, I'm going <laughs> to sort of do my impression of Coach Tatum. I remember one time I was up in the coach's office. I was doing some film work up there. And Coach Tatum came in. He had that Texas draw. And he goes, Luke, what you like? I was like, what? I, I didn't understand what that meant, what you like. I don't, what? He's like, what you like? I'm like, what do I what I like? I'm like, what, you mean like, how am I doing? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So I think of that. Like, that always comes to my mind. It's like, well, what do you like? What are you interested in? What you like? So uh, this is how we're starting. Just, what do you like? What's stuff that you're interested in? Uh, then I want you to identify some things that, that you bring to the table. Some personal qualities, some skills, some attributes that you have. This is another thing that's really hard for some students to identify. For them to take a, an honest assessment and say, I'm good at these things. And that's tough for some students for a number of reasons. One, there are far too many students who don't get a lot of positive affirmations at home or outside of school. They don't have people telling them, I'm proud of you, I love you, I care about you, you did a great job with this. A lot of students are walking in our classrooms without that. So it's important that we do some of that in our classrooms. 
And it's important if we're going to build self-confidence, if we're going to build self-efficacy, we have to give our students permission, first of all, permission to identify strengths, to identify those things they are good at. We have to give them that permission and we have to provide them with opportunities to discover those strengths. Opportunities to have success. So I want to have my students spend some time to think about, really, honestly, what, what are you good at? What do you offer to other people? What do you offer to the world? And you all have something. Absolutely, unequivocally, you have something to offer. Something to offer other people. I firmly believe that our interests, our passions, our sense of purpose, those things were given to us. We have those things for the express purpose of bringing them to life, putting them into the world. letting other people connect with them. So we want to spend some time thinking about that, talking about that. And this is time to, the other thing that students don't want to talk about this sometimes because they, which this is good, want to be humble. They don't want to brag. That's a great thing. It's a great thing to, to not want to pound your chest and, and be cocky, something like that. But it's important that we, at least for ourselves, have a a positive self-image. And that doesn't mean we don't think we have room to grow, we don't have areas to work on. It's just to understand that, yeah, I've got something here. I've got something to offer. That's a big part of finding peace in this life, is feeling like we have something to contribute. And the last thing, in our first week, I'm going to have the students do, is create some sort of positive affirmation. This might seem a little little hokey, a little cheesy, but I do think it's good to have a, a positive affirmation, to have a, a saying, a little slogan, a little motto that we can fall back on when things get difficult, because they do. They will. It's good to have a, a little reminder of what's important to us. I try to do that all the time. We'll talk about, I have little slogans and little sayings, things that I've come up with, things that I've taken from other places that I'll repeat to myself, kind of snap myself back into it. I do it a lot visually too. It's part of the reason I have have tattoos and pictures and things, tattoos all over my body and pictures all over the walls and stuff. A lot of it's reminders of what I think is important, of what helps me recenter myself, find my center of gravity, my, my focal point, and get back on track with things. So I want you to create a positive affirmation. Not necessarily create, but, but establish a positive affirmation. could be something that you come up with, or it could be Something you took from a movie or a song, a lyric, anything like that, but something that you're like, this hits home with me, and I can repeat this to myself to kind of get me 
out of those dark times and thinking positively a little bit again. That's where we're starting with our social-emotional learning for this year. I'm excited to be back in the classroom. I love it. Say it again and again. I'm one of the few people in the world, the far too few people, who gets to wake up every day, do what I love doing. That's being a dad first and foremost. Teaching and coaching is right behind that. Love what I get to do every day because of the students, because of the people with whom I get to teach and coach. Excited for this school year. Much love. My blog post this week is balance. I'm a coach and an athlete. I coach football and track. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I've trained in Taekwondo since childhood and I started training Jiu-Jitsu as an adult. Balance is essential to optimal physical performance. It's also essential to a healthy and happy life. I talk to my athletes about finding and managing their centers of gravity. In the drive phase of a sprint, we want our centers of gravity out in front of our feet. When we change direction, we want to lower our centers of gravity. When I work with offensive and defensive linemen, we're trying to knock our opponent's centers of gravities outside of the bases created by their feet. When I work with shot putting discus throwers, we talk about getting our centers of gravity onto our drive legs to generate power. Taekwondo and Jiu-Jitsu are all about balance. We can't effectively strike or roll an opponent without a strong sense of balance. And good balance starts with finding our centers of gravity. Balance in life is no different. Life is full of obligations and desires and distractions that pull us out of balance. And when we're out of balance, there can be no peace. I tend to pursue things obsessively. I used to think that was a good thing. Sometimes we're sold on that idea. We're told to sacrifice everything for the sake of success in a single pursuit. We glorify people who give up everything for a singular obsession. That might even work, but I'm not sure there's much peace in it. We have to identify the aspects of our lives we value. It might be family and friends. It could be career or creativity. It can be all of those things. But once we've identified those valued facets of our lives, we have to start distributing our time and energy. We fall into the trap of thinking we can give 100% of our time to our families and 100% of our time to our careers, and that just doesn't add up. We have to find a balance point. We have to identify our centers of gravity. We have to find the amount of time and effort we can give to each essential component of our lives without losing our balance. That takes practice. It's a high wire act. It's little adjustments all along the way. I've definitely struggled with that. I still do. I find myself obsessing about one thing. I try to steal time away from one aspect of my life and give it to another. But in those situations, I usually end up more agitated and less productive. 
I try to waste less time worrying about getting as much as possible done in one area, and I try to focus more on maintaining balance in all areas of my life. Success in any endeavor certainly takes sacrifice, probably more than anything else. We just have to find the areas of our lives we can sacrifice. That's an important part of balance, too. We get rid of the things that pull us out of balance, the distractions, the negative influences. We cut those things from our lives and focus on what really matters to us. That's how we find a center of gravity, the balance point that rests somewhere between all the important elements of our lives. That's how we find balance. That's how we find peace. I will leave you with that this week. To anyone who is impacted by the start of a new school year, the students, the teachers, the staff in the buildings, the community members who support the school, the parents who have students going off to school, I send you my best. I'm excited for this start of the school year. Remember to take some time to focus on your social, emotional needs. Think a little bit this week about who you are, what you're interested in, what you care about, what your passions are, what positive things you bring to the table because you've got something. And try to, try to maintain a balance. School year gets a little crazy for our students. There's, there's a lot going on. They have classes and homework and they have their extracurricular activities and many of them work and have responsibilities at home. And it's a lot. It's a lot. Find your center of gravity. Find that spot that's in between all the things you really care about, all the important things. And cut out some of those things that pull you out of balance. Rely on your center of gravity and, and adjust. Adjust how much time and effort you can give to those different things so you can stay in balance. Until next time, much love. Mm-hmm.